the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. 602-508-0960. Feel free to call in. Anything on your mind you want to discuss, we are here for that. Um, I told you there was this interesting piece over Real Clear Politics I wanted to run run by y'all and get your sense of it. It's interesting. And its springboard is about Ron DeSantis just not cutting it. And if your memory can go back to the beginning of this year, he was all the rage. I mean, it was Ron DeSantis everywhere all the time as the next potential nominee um, and that it would be him and Trump going neck and neck, uh, fork and uh, tongue, hammer and tongue. And um, it's getting worse as I'm looking at polling data. I didn't realize how much worse. Do you realize, young David, he's in fourth place in New Hampshire? Fourth place in New Hampshire. Um, I believe it. Yeah. Because on that stage, he appears to be the most conservative. And yeah. New Hampshire is generally not the most conservative of states. If you recall, they were the ones that propelled McCain's candidacy in mm-hmm. 08, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of a little bit of the timber of this piece I was looking at. Um when you look at nominations for the Republican Party, there's two outliers, but that's about it. The two George Bushes, Bob Dole, John McCain, Mitt Romney, not a single one of them was a true blue conservative icon. Neither was Richard Nixon or Dwight Eisenhower. Barry Goldwater was Mr. Conservative when he won the, nom- when he won the nomination in 1964, but for a race most Republican leaders considered unwinnable. Since World War II, the only conservatives conservative to get the nomination at a time when the party thought it could prevail was Ronald Reagan. That's why Reagan remains the singular totem of conservative orthodoxy and practically the only role model any Republican hopeful cites to prove his or her bona fides, though DeSantis deserves credit for referencing Calvin Coolidge in last week's um, debate. This is a piece by, uh, by uh, Daniel McCarthy. Um, and, uh, yeah, Calvin Coolidge, he, he was also resurrected by the way, by Ronald Reagan. I think Ronald Reagan had a bust of Calvin Coolidge in his, in the Oval Office. It's not that Republican voters aren't generally conservative, McCarthy writes. It's simply that they're not thoroughly, consistently, and single-mindedly conservative. When a politician stakes his campaign on a demonstration of how thorough, consistent, and philosophically pure he is, he might impress conservative journalists and policy wonks, but they don't pick the nominee. DeSantis isn't too conservative to win, McCarthy writes, but his campaign sells him like spinach, as if it's irrelevant whether voters like him so long as they acknowledge that he's right. That's a keen insight. If you follow these campaigns on social media, that's eminently true. The campaign also fell for the myth of a moment. The DeSantis re-election triumph generated endless pundit chatter, about how his moment had arrived. 
Much as in 2014, journalists dazzled by recent successes of the Tea Party declared that a libertarian moment was upon us, and a moment was all it was. There have always been three problems with taking DeSantis's landslide in 2022 as indicative of his, as, of his prospects in, in, in general. The first is that his 2018 gubernatorial contest was as notable for its narrow margin as his victory last year was for its wide one. DeSantis beat Andrew Gillum in the first race by less than half a percentage point. 2018 was a very good year for Democrats, so DeSantis still bucked a trend, but only barely. And a trend is the second reason his 2022 blowout needs to be contextualized, because that was a great year for incumbents in both parties, even if it was a disappointing cycle for Republicans overall. The third problem with reading too much into DeSantis' reelection is specific to that race. The Democratic Party was bitterly divided in Florida that year, with a party switching ex-Republican Charlie Crist at the top of its ticket. DeSantis's reelection results were rock solid, but they were never a sign of his moment having come. Now his future is on the line and on the ballot in Iowa. Brandon thought he would do well in Iowa because Iowa is kind of sweet generous the way they do their caucus voting and hard to poll. But I don't know that it's 30 points hard to poll. Uh, DeSantis is at 19 percent. Trump is at 50 percent in Iowa. By the way, Haley is within three points of DeSantis in Iowa. Haley is. Um, South Carolina is the other interesting one because that would typically be the image that young Mr. Dahl described about New Hampshire. South Carolina tends to be a bit more conservative, and yet Haley is doing about five to six points better than Ron DeSantis there. Now, of course, yes, of course, she is from there. South Carolina was where Reagan pulled yeah. it around in 76. That's thanks right. Thanks to the help of Jesse Helms. Jesse Helms, that's right. Yeah. Jesse Helms saved Ronald Reagan's So what bacon. New Hampshire is to the Rockefeller Republicans, yeah. South Carolina is to the Reagan Republicans. Yeah, 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 that's true. And what North Carolina was for Joe Biden, right? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think that's fair Yeah, I guess same. you're right. Yeah. Ramaswamy um, is interesting. He's not doing very well. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a humbling moment, too, for talk radio, in a sense. You know, we, um, we in the talk radio business are often attributed as having, you know, great control over um, great control over votes, voting patterns. And it's it's never been true. Um, first of all, it's a classic mainstream media misunderstanding of the talk radio audience, or at least the conservative talk radio audience, which is how independently minded and smart they are. It's always undermined that. And it's part and parcel of that to think that, you know, it was controlled. It's a vote that's controlled by charismatic hosts, whether they were you know, giants like Rush Limbaugh or others, it never has been. Because, again, people are independent-minded. The audience is much more independent-minded than the mainstream media ever understood, much more smart. And um, what we are, what we tend to be, use the word we um, advisedly, but what we tend to be are pretty good readers of the mood. We can't really and don't have the ability 
nor would we have the vainglory to think we had the ability to tell people what to do, but we have ears. And the ears that we have are based on the eyeballs of huge audiences that the New York Times and CNN miss all the time, all the time, which is why most of us in this business were predicting a Trump win in 2016 when most everyone said he wasn't going to win. And that's why a lot of us resented. We wrote a book about this, but a lot of us resented the post-2016 chattering classes you know, these people that just are always on TV, your Frank Luntz types, saying, well, we were all wrong. We just all got it wrong. And it was like, excuse me, no, we were not all wrong. Not all of us were wrong. You were wrong. And your class was wrong. Talk radio hosts, they heard what was going on. They saw what was going on through the eyes of their listeners and their callers. And we were, most of us, predicting a Donald Trump victory, even if it be a narrow one. And um, and and it's it's an interesting thing to me about this analyst class that you see on TV. Uh, Fox is um, a little better at it, but it's not excused from the sin of not holding accountable. They're called pundits or analysts to any standard of accuracy whatsoever. You know, if the pundits and the analysts were judged the way you judge almost every other profession, they wouldn't be superstars on TV or elsewhere. These guys are wrong. Gals and guys are wrong a lot. And so long as they look good or sound good or use that techno talk or techno jargon that makes them sound like they know more than the interviewer or the audience, they keep getting invited back on. But you examine their records, and they should never be hired. The other thing I want to say about the DeSantis campaign, and maybe the obituary is too early. Maybe the maybe it's it's too soon. But I will say this, too. As just someone who's been in and around these things for a long time. You can sense the candidacies that carry with them great, overwhelming amounts of arrogance, and it's a turnoff. It just is. It's a real turnoff. Humility goes a long way in politics, a long way. You have to have an ego, but it goes a long way. None of these rules, nothing I said in the last 10 minutes applies to Donald Trump whatsoever. He is just totally sui generis. He is a total outlier to everything I just said, but everyone else is involved in what I said. Be right back. Is that Martina? Yes, indeed. Martina McBride? Yes. Dubbed into uh, singing with Dean Martin? Well, how do you know that Dean Martin was dub- wasn't dubbed into her singing? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You could do that with AI, I yes, suppose. Yes, yes, yes. Next year, yeah. John Lennon and Dean Martin. Yeah, I suppose Christmas so. Album. There are good uses to um, – there are helpful uses with AI. Um in fact, and someone sent me this the other day. Do I still have it? Or this morning, maybe it was. Yeah, I think I can do this. Uh, as I say, there are uses for AI. You know, a lot of people couldn't quite understand, and I don't know why, but, you know, some people, you know, need the repetition, I suppose. Couldn't quite understand, like Saturday Night Live couldn't, but, you know, they're a comedy show not to be taken seriously anyway. What... um 
What energized and animated so many people about those three university presidents in the hearing with Elise Stefanik that week? And uh, Alan Dershowitz talks about the shoe on the other foot test. AI gave us the shoe on the other foot test with Elise Stefanik. Uh, I don't know if you heard this or saw this, Bill. Let me see if I can pull it up and if it works. It, it's one of those things we in the law would say, res ipsa loquitur. The thing speaks for itself. See if I can. Yeah, bear with. Just replace the words that Elise Stefanik used with the president. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of black and brown people violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of LGBTQ people, does that constitute bullying or harassment? It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Muslim people is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. Yeah, that's what AI can do. It... Um you can just replace the word Jew with LGBTQ or black or African-American or Muslim. And then, as I say, res ipsa loquitur. It's an interesting question why these, why these standards just cannot be singular. It's a really interesting question. Anyway, I don't, I, we, we've spent enough time on it. I, I just, when you were talking about AI and its benefits, I, it does have them, as anything does. Um, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, you know, what a well-spoken man he is. I, he, he, we've used various words to describe the moment we're in, the political, cultural moment we're in. Uh, I like the word frenetic. I like that we're feeling I, – I don't like that we are. I just like that use of that word. I think it's pretty descriptive that we seem to always be put in a frenzy uh, where things aren't quite as stable as we think they should be. Um, And a lot of this comes from our political leaders. A lot of this comes from the moral panic crowd. A lot of this comes from the doomsday cult crowd. A lot of this comes from the ideologically rigid crowd, which plasters labels like fascist or Nazi on anything it doesn't like. Um, Or, you know, the crisis is existential uh, crowd, the use of that language to have us always in a state of of uh, un, unsettledness. And I think frenzy is the right word, frenetic, meaning an unhealthy mind. And, you know, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, you ever listen to him talk, whether it's in an interview or whether it's at a press conference or whether it's in a speech— this man just exudes calm. It's like listening to Charles Kuralt or someone like that back in the day. He just he just examples, evidences, and exudes a calmness that's really, you know, worth making an honorable mention of, I think. Because it would be easy not to, given the times and given all that's thrown at him. Point one about Mike Johnson. I you know will he disappoint at some point sure every political leader does um but you know just for that alone 
his his steady stream and calm. You know, it's it's appreciated, isn't it? We could use some more of that. There's a time for energy and exhortation, but I think more than anything, our times call for a lowering of the temperature, and he seems to be doing that really well whenever I've seen him. And that's all point one. Point two about Mike Johnson. You may remember when he was uh, nominated by our caucus or voted in by our caucus. Well, really, the whole House of Representatives, I suppose, is how you would accurately say that. When he was elected Speaker of the House of Representatives by the House of Representatives, um, all the liberal commentary from you know Bill Maher to the MSNBC crowd to you name it, the, the entire warp and woof of the liberal commentary were, were, were all on about what a fundamentalist he was and what a lunatic his religious beliefs were, what, how lunatic his religious beliefs were. And this is, you know, again, the coming of the handmaiden tale. Nothing like that true. Just none of it bearing out at all. At all. I mean, it's much like, it's a little harder to make this comparison, but it's apt in the sense of, does anyone just step back a moment with all the Trump dictator stuff and just step back for a moment and say, in what sense, when he had four years, two with a Republican Congress, in what what example can you show me of dictatorial powers were exercised? Name one. Name one. The things that he might have done that a lot of us wanted him to do, which wouldn't have been dictatorial, he never did. For example, using the Insurrection Act during the riots of 2020, a lot of us wanted that. He didn't do it. Tom Cotton wrote that op-ed in the New York Times, arguing he should, and the New York Times fell, fell upon its own sword for having published it. But that wasn't Donald Trump. And I think he had every right to use it. But that wasn't him who did that. It wasn't him. It wasn't he. It wasn't he who did that. Show me the evidence of dictatorial powers. And then we'll begin to take you a little bit more seriously. But because you can't, we won't. We'll be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter, from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer, convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group, just as Seb Gorka and I have, because they are fighting for your financial freedom and privacy and have been doing so for years. Call Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Thank you to two listeners specifically. One of them came by the office today and brought a cake. 
Mr. Bill, are you aware of this? Brought me a cake. And um, I have a complaint about my staff. Uh, the staff, not my staff. The staff here. She brought the cake because she said, I often will complain about what the staff does with food items that are brought here. That they, you know, will go crazy on them like Tom and Jerry on a ham bone, but leaving all kinds of detritus, detritus and half portions. And we they don't won't, have to repeat the cheesecake massacre. If you're young October. David, you don't put the box lid back down so that it desiccates. So fault. she brought me a cake in a box, professionally made. Wow. Yes. How come I didn't see about Oh, this? you will. Good. Because someone took it and put it in the kitchen. Oh. Yeah. So somebody decided that your gifts were their gifts. Yes. That's the rule around here I have learned. Anyone have who's not I using uh, anyone who's not using something at the exact given moment that someone else sees believes it is theirs for the taking. I have had this with flashlights. Don't ask me why I have flashlights in the office. <laughs> I have had this with all kinds of problems here. So I guess, Mr. Bill, the rule is if someone brings you something that you think you might want, don't tarry. Go right to it. Because it will become soon a tragedy of the commons. I'm always willing to have cake on air. We'll tell the audience how good it is, how good they're missing out on it. You're throwing a party tonight. I am indeed. What's the bill of fare? You're always more than welcome to attend. I can't make it, but thank you. You can't attend. I can't, but thank you. My goodness. That's it. Next time, your place. what (laughs) What will I be missing? Um... Well, you know, we're going to take a tour of continental Europe, if you will. We've got some truffle salami and truffle cheese. What's truffle salami? Uh, made with truffle oil. So it's oh, uh, sort uh, of like the— You uh, made the salami with truffle? No, tru- of course not. Okay. Trader Joe made it. Uh, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> what is he is often known? Trader Jose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, blue cheese stuffed olives. Spicy pickles. Do the olives so we have eat? Some, sort of a pickled plate, you know. Wait, do the oh? So you eat the olives on on their own? They're not placed in a drink, which they could. No, be. we could make martinis and mm-hmm. put them in. I suppose you know we got the pickled plate, mm-hmm. with the pickles, the hot the hot pickles, normal pickles, yeah. and the olives. We have a truffle plate with the truffle cheese and the truffle salami. Yeah, I didn't get any nuts or anything, but I did get little onion crackers. Mm-hmm. They're little. Uh, they kind of look like a swirl, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Lots of cheese. Do you know what a great cracker or underestimated cracker is? Um, a triscuit. <laughs> a triscuit is an undervalued great cracker. And if I could suggest, it's probably too late for this year's party, but maybe for next year's. I want you to consider deep fried stuffing. Oh, gosh. Think about it. With dipping sauces. Deep fried stuff. I don't think I could deep fry any. Well, that's not even all of it because our guests are bringing hors d'oeuvres of their own. Yeah. It'll be a collaborative effort. Sounds lovely. Um, You've heard me talk about the phenomenon known as Gell-Mann amnesia where you read something in a newspaper that you know something about because it might be about you or about something you have expertise in. And you know how wrong, you see how wrong it is in various parts. And then you flip a few pages and start taking seriously some other story in the paper, thinking that, you know, basically you've forgotten how wrong they were about the thing you know about, but you implicitly assume that they're right about anything else and everything else they write about when they aren't. I want to give you an example of it when we come back. We'll be right back. What? 
is it because of the turtle doves you think this is a Christmas song? No, this is a Christmas version. I bet you had no idea there was no, a Christmas I sure version. Didn't. Did you hear them singing Silent Night at the beginning? And the, the bells in the background? No, good for you. Yes, they had a Christmas version of this commercial in 1978. Coke was always great about that. That's the famous Santa Claus that we've come to know, right? That was an invention of Coca-Cola. Thank you, Coca-Cola. Otherwise, we'd have... Uh, Right? That Saint famous Nicholas. image of, yeah. San- of Santa Claus. That's a Coca-Cola Pierre production. Pierre Noel. Yes. yes Isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yes, no, I'm yes, pretty sure have, it is. I, we, we would have all of these uh, European traditions. Yes. Thank you, Coca-Cola. Sinterklaas and all that. Yeah. It's a fa- fascinating s- story and history. Um, oh, I said two listeners I wanted to call out. You have a letter I got from another one. You impress me because you think I can read. <laughs> Read this letter. This warmed my heart like nothing. This was addressed to you and delivered this morning. Yeah. Dear Seth, my name is Joe Meyer. I'm a Los Angeles transplant of five and a half years and an avid listener to your show. I'm pretty sure I discovered your show within a week of moving to Phoenix. I am sure of one thing, though, that I was blown away, pun intended, I guess, because of the great trumpet bumper music. (laughs) Because I was a professional French horn player in Los Angeles for 40 years and extremely fortunate to have been part of the TV, film, and orchestral community of your choices for bumper music. It makes me smile every time I hear them. This brings us back to an enclosed CD. This CD was released about four years ago. Four weeks ago. From the minute I started hearing cuts from it, I knew it would be just for you. Jeff Bennell arranged, and along with Wayne Bergeron, produced this CD. The always amazing Jerry Hay. Wait, also who arranged? His, who, who arranged? Jeff Bunnell. Oh, okay, go on. The always amazing Jerry Hay also lent his considerable talent to the CD, arranging and producing the last cut, Roof Garden, as you will read in the liner notes. If I have the correct timeline, you studied trumpet at the Claremont College in the 80s, and you may have studied with one of my dear friends and trumpet teachers, Robert Karen. I know you're a very knowledgeable musician and trumpet player and will immediately hear how crazy good this CD is. I'll never be able to thank you enough for the thousands of hours and talk and intellectual discussions that you have shared over the airwaves. All right. That's very sweet. Would you like me to finish it? No, it's getting to be too too complimentary and I get embarrassed by that. But it was a very sweet thing. And yes, Robert Karen, it's a beautiful CD. I have here enclosed the CD that was in the package, Los Angeles Trumpet Ensemble. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. On this CD are Jeff Bunnell, okay, Wayne okay. Bergeron, All John right. Lewis. But, oh, I'm turning into uh, NPR. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let, we're, we're, yes. Let's, let's stick with the main point. It was so fast. I, you know, I have such esteem for teachers. I can read it again with a whisper. It's okay. It's okay. I have such esteem for teachers. They really should be recognized. Great teachers should be recognized. They should be recognized and rewarded. And I've been blessed with several of them. And I have been kicking myself for years that I could not remember who I did and couple independent studies of trumpet with when I was in Claremont. And um, son of a gun, this guy got it. It was Robert Karen, Bob Karen. He was a, an associate or an assistant professor of trumpet at Pomona. And at the Claremont Colleges, you could, you know, take courses and cross-register, and they shared departments and stuff. So, uh, you know, I took several courses at Pomona, but one of them was um, with this, this uh, trumpet teacher, uh, Bob Karen, and there's no way he'll remember me, I don't think. He probably had thousands of students, or at least uh, many hundreds. And I, um, But I do remember one particular, one particular end of semester moment with him when uh, it was time to submit my grade. <laughs> he said, should I have a sense of humor about this? <laughs> 
<laughs> such a great way to put it. Should I have a sense of humor about this? And he was kind enough to do so. A great, great, great musical uh, trumpet teacher. And yeah, he was my guy in Claremont. And I hadn't, I'd been kicking myself trying to, I couldn't remember his name. So um, thank, thank God um, that we did get it. And that was a very nice second thing from a listener today that came in, uh, came in through our front door, came in through the transom. David, let me tell you something about the way the music industry works, which is why you're having a hard time finding the answer to who the trumpet player was on the, uh, what was it? Ray, Ray Anthony's Anthony. Christmas trumpets. Yeah, the reason you're having a hard time finding it is you are sending and finding who was in his regular band. And quite often, and it's always been an issue of tension, Quite often, um, the regular band members are not on the recorded album. They bring in different musicians for the Like recording. the Wrecking Crew. Something like that. We discussed ad nauseum over the summer. Yeah, something like that. Jerry Hay is a good example. So he mentions Jerry Hay in there, right, yes. as having been a part of this album. Jerry Hay is probably one of the most recorded trumpet players ever. He's probably on more recordings than any other trumpet player. I think he at one point had that record. He may not anymore, but he did once. And uh, and yet just didn't do a lot of touring, I don't think, with a lot of the musicians he played for. Anyway, just something about uh, the music industry, particularly in Los Angeles. The regular band members were not often the same people on the recorded albums. They brought in different people. Um. I was speaking of uh, Gell Man Amnesia earlier, and here's an example of it, you know, where the expert knows something more about the story than the journalist. And uh, there's a big story in the New York Times today with the headline, Bill Ackman's campaign against Harvard followed years of resentment. You're aware of Bill Bill Ackman. He's a billionaire who has been exercising some influence or trying to exercise some influence with holding back donations to colleges that uh, are acting like the University of Berlin in 1932. And um, anyway, he uh, the, the headline, Bill Ackman's campaign against Harvard followed years of resentment. He puts over on Twix... The premise of the story is false. I have held no resentment towards Harvard ever, and I have none now. The story gives the impression that my motivation for raising issues about anti-Semitism at Harvard and President Gay were due to prior grievances. This is entirely false and misleading. He had one issue a few years back with a donation with Harvard that had to do with a messy divorce, and that's all it was. And the New York Times turns it into he's now getting his revenge and seeking out a vendetta against Harvard, which, as he says, you know, it's about me. It's not It's not true. It's just not true. Increasingly, you're going to find stories about people who um, sometimes they'll be asked to comment. Sometimes they won't comment because they know what will be done with their comment and the story and the context it will be taken out of and the narrative they already have in their own mind. And we're going to start collecting some of these. And sometimes they won't, they, won't call the, they won't call the focal point of the story at all. I give you our media today. And the New York Times, again, got it monumentally wrong about Bill Ackman. 
portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. You are in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There are absolutely no fees. You can have peace of mind. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you'll get your monthly statement. No surprises. And this is a secure and collateralized portfolio that may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. I'll never forget... um, an interview I had with Tevi Troy about Mitt Romney once. We were talking for some reason. He was on air about Mitt Romney. And Tevi and I have a lot of combined experience in, you know, working with campaigns and candidates and politics and stuff. And uh, Tevi said, he, he has a little more, I think. And Tevi said, um, I can't think of a single person who's affiliated with the Republican Party who has less core beliefs, less findable core beliefs than Mitt Romney. And I thought, you know, that's pretty indicting, you know, for what is actually a fairly typical thing to say about a politician, to say that about Mitt Romney. But it's eminently true. And, you know, yesterday we were talking about his statement that he implied he might vote for Joe Biden. He said, I won't vote for Donald Trump. They asked him, will you vote for Joe Biden? He wouldn't deny it. That's implicitly that he's going to vote for Joe Biden or whoever the Democrat is if Donald Trump is the nominee, which he probably will be. Today, Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney has come out against House Republicans' efforts to impeach President Joe Biden, stating that he fails to see any evidence that the president's conduct justifies his impeachment. Conduct or statements. This man has no... I don't even really know why he affiliates anymore with wanting Republican support. I honestly don't. Um, He gave the nastiest speech against Donald Trump in 2016. Then he applied for the job of Department of uh, Home, uh, I guess, Secretary of State after Donald Trump won. Um, He uh, anyway, I could go down the list of Mitt Romney emptiness, vacuity of principle. I really could. But, um, God, I just knew it was going to stink when on the first day of his being sworn into the Senate, there was a picture of him he posted on Twitter walking down the Senate hallway, and it said, let's do this, exclamation point. I just knew it was going to stink. Do what, Mitt? What did you do? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.